last week. Uh, we're picking up with where we left off. This is part two of the Father's family. Uh, we read uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, and I'll just pick up with where we left off. But um, what we're looking at and what we looked at last week in this third chapter, this, these specific 12 through 17 verses, these six verses, uh, really God's plan as our Heavenly Father, His commands to us, and His desire for us that we would be a healthy family. How many of you want your families to be healthy? There's a lot of unhealthy families in America and around the world, not just here. Uh, but he has this desire that not only would our families be healthy, but healthy for a reason. And two primary reasons. Uh, one is that our health of our family, and I'm speaking of the individual family and the larger church family, God wants our families to be healthy spiritually. We're not always guaranteed health physically. Uh, Pastor Randy is not suffering from cancer because God doesn't like him. Or families aren't broken by a loved one dying. We had two sisters in my family taken home to be with the Lord. My mom's here tonight. She, I can't even fathom that as a parent. That, that kind of, those kind of things that happen in a family or to a family, um, God doesn't guarantee physical health to any of us, but he does want spiritual health, amen? And the reason is, is because spiritual health glorifies him. So when a family is spiritually healthy, uh, it glorifies the Lord. But secondly, uh, when we are spiritually healthy, we build each other up. We're able to encourage one another. We're able to support one another. And then that allows us to do the third thing, and that's Jesus is given a commission to reach the world. So we're going to need each other <laughs> to get things done. Uh, we don't have holy huddles just to stay in them. <laughs> we have these huddles to go back out into the fields all around us and to serve. So God has designed the family, uh, it, it, the agrarian societies of 1700s, 1800s, they understood this. You, you ate meals to be strengthened to go back out and work in the farm, not just kind of to sit in there and try another thing from the food network. <laughs> they didn't have, it wasn't really that was, it was all about strengthening. We were talking this morning, um, men's Bible study that, uh, this is also kind of neat how the family of God, the family of God is not just Calvary Chapel of Richmond. You know, I was, the Bible study we were at uh, that uh, Xavier and Bradley lead at uh, Panera on Wednesday morning. We had six different churches there. Uh, on, men can come at 7 a.m. And I think the one you all do at Starbucks on Saturday must have six, eight different churches. And uh, I, I'm in a study with several pastors from both Chesterfield and Powhatan. And I, we pray for each other, email each other and stuff. And when you look at what God wants to do, he wants to take us as the body of Christ and really fit us together that we really support and love one another and build each other up because really we all have the same mission and that is to represent the family of God in a larger respect in this community and around the world. And so this is what we're looking at here tonight, just God taking his family and he says, I want you to reflect me. Good times, bad times, difficult times, and that will impact. As Jesus said, how, how will people know that you're truly my disciple, that you love one another? And so that's what we uh, are looking at in these verses. Um, we looked at last week uh, the imperative uh, to let love be the bond of perfection. We also looked at uh, the peace that God wants us to have in verse 15. So let's pick it up with where we left off, starting in verse uh, I'm going to reread verse 15 because it, it, it is connected. Well, they all are, but I'll just pick up with verse 15, though we'll be primarily looking at verse 16 and 17. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are called in one body, again, not just our church family, but the larger church family, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, 
and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you for this evening. I know Trevor already prayed for Randy and the family, but Lord, I lift them up as well. They're part of our family. This is Father's Day week, and he's not only a father, but a grandfather. And Lord, I just pray you'd pour out your spirit of grace, and comfort, and healing. Uh, Lord, we know that you have everything that Michelle and Randy and the family need. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just, even right now, even as we're praying together right now, your spirit is just lifting them up. As your, script, as your word says, you're the lifter of our heads. Lord, I pray that you would do that tonight. I pray, Lord, as we prayed on Monday and uh, fasted and prayed for the church, part of our family in North Korea, and Lord, not just there, but around the world, that you would minister, even now, your grace and your deliverance to our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Bless this Bible study. Strengthen us, Lord, that we would rightly reflect you, but you would use us as an effective and healthy family here together, but also outside these four walls. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, I, I see that we actually have our slides up. That's for Sunday. I already covered that. So, now you get to see. Oh, yeah, that's what he looks like. All right. So, moving on. First thing we want to look at, Scripture. Let the word, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right out of the gate here, we can ask ourselves a simple question. Is the Word of God dwelling in us, dwelling, dwelling? Is the Word of God dwelling in us, or is it just passing right through without taking root? Because a lot of people know some Scripture, but the Word of God isn't necessarily dwelling in everyone that knows things or even knows the Scripture. Is the Word of God dwelling. Is it, is it like a garden that is growing and blooming in us, or does it barely settle in us before it is blown about by the winds of busyness and distractions and reluctance and non-commitment? The Word of God will not dwell in us until we dwell in it. Does that make sense? The Word of God will not dwell in us until we dwell in it. Now, God's given us the Word. He's given us the Spirit to be drawn to the Word, but we have to, we have to say, yes, Lord, I will come to the table morning by morning. And even when we do dwell in the Word, we have to continue to dwell. We're going to have to do it uh, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if the Lord should tarry. I'd like to see Jesus come back in the next 20 years. I'd like to see him come back in the next 20 hours. I really would. Nothing really left here that I really care that the older I get, the more I realize you know, this stuff, this world is really tainted. If you were living anywhere else and like, well, I shouldn't say anywhere else, but if you're living in like greater, the vast majority of the world, you would want Jesus to come back in the next 10 minutes. Americans have such a distorted view of what it's like that uh, they want to kind of put that off. But even however long until Jesus returns, we're going to have to dwell on the Word. We're going to have to dwell on the Word that it would richly work in our life. Jesus, whose name is what? The Word. That's one of His names. He's called the Word of God. That's one of His names. Jesus, who is the Word, said in Luke twenty-two twenty-eight, but... You are those who continued with me. You are those who continued with me. You stayed at my feet. You stayed by my side. And we do that through the Word. We're given the Word to stay with the Lord, to uh, walk at His side, to hear Him speak to us. He speaks to us by His Word. In Acts 2.42, we know that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, the apostles didn't come up with doctrine, they received it from who? Jesus, the Word. They were constantly, steadfastly continuing in the Word 
together because Jesus had given them the word. It, it became the New Testament that we have, what was given to the apostles and then some of the other writers. We have to make the word a priority in our life. No one else can do that for us, each person. Now, we, we have three teenage daughters. I tell them, look, there's going to be a day you can choose to read or not to read the word of God. The wisest choice you'll make is to make it part of your life today when you're 22, when you're 32, when you're 82. Continue in it. F.B. Meyer said, watch the morning watch. Do not see the face of man until you have seen the face of God. Before you enter on the day with its temptations, look up into, the, into his face and hide his word in your heart. It's a great reminder. Don't, don't go see the face of people until we've seen the face of God. We don't have anything to give to people until we've received from God. When Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, he wants us to receive the bread from him that we have bread to give to others. To continue and to dwell there, to continue in the word, to dwell where there has to be commitment. I believe in most respects, we ultimately commit to what we truly believe in. The things in life that people are, I mean, just they are dead set committed to are the things they are doing, the things they don't miss, the things they really live for. What we truly believe in, if we truly believe that the Word of God is this powerful, we will be in the Word of God. I ask, I ask Christians all the time, I say, are you in the Word? Well, no. Do you eat? Do you eat food? Oh, yeah. Well, your spiritual is far more important than your physical. We don't believe that. Jesus said it's true. He said, I have food of which you know not. Remember he said that? John chapter 4, the same chapter we were in on Sunday. If we believe that the word of God warns us, if we believe it convicts us, if we believe it cleanses us, if we believe it is our shield, if we believe it is our comfort. By the way, I was talking to the, the men this morning in that Bible study. Did you know comfort is completely misunderstood by most Americans as it relates to the scriptures? Whenever you see the word comfort in the Bible, it always means strengthening. You know what it means to a lot of people? Ah, this seat is comfy. These pants are comfy. This car is comfy. The Bible, the word comfort means strengthening, to strengthen someone. When God says he wants to comfort us, he wants to strengthen us. When you go to comfort people, it's to strengthen them. But the word of God does that. It comforts us. It strengthens. Now, comfort can be a consoling action, too. And the Word does that. It's our source of faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's our source of faith. When, when we need faith, we need to get back in the Word. We need to re-meditate on it. Wisdom. Well, we know wisdom's important. It says it right here. Verse 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all what? Wisdom. The Lord wants to give us wisdom. And we'll find it when we dwell on the Word. We'll keep going to the Word, expecting God to change us. When you go on the Word of God, do you expect God to change you? Well, not only do I expect Him to change, I'm begging Him to change me. But thankfully, you really don't even have to do that. He already wants to change us. Our pleading is really from the heart. It's not like begging like, please, God. It's more of a yearning, if you will a yearning to be changed. No matter how long you've been saved, you probably see enough dirt when you look in the mirror of God and say, Lord, woe is me. That should be our response. We go to the word expecting God to change us, expecting God to speak to us, it's expecting God to speak to us, to lead us. The word of God, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, isn't it? Even when our thoughts are messed up, the Word of God can cut right through it all. Just open the Word of God. Sometimes we don't even know what we don't know. Related to us. Much less everybody else, right? And the Word of God is there to speak wisdom to us. We didn't even know. We, sometimes we didn't even know we were on the wrong side of something until God just highlights a verse. It's like, wow, why didn't I see that? We have so many blind spots. His word. 
a lamp unto our feet. It's a light to our path. We know that in word imparts faith. Now, it also mentioned back in verse 15, we started there with just rereading, even though we covered last week, let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Peace, does everyone here want peace? I mean, I'm not talking about world peace, although we want that too. But do you want peace? Do I want peace? There's, like we've talked about it, there's days that I don't have it. I'm not alone. And I'm right back to the Lord. I said, Lord, I need your peace. It takes me back to the Word. The peace, verse 15 and 16, the peace of God is perpetually tied to the Word of God. The peace of God is perpetually tied to the Word of God. A Christian who's not in the Word of God will eventually not have peace. I'm not talking about temporarily time, temporary times. We all have those. I wish we never did, but I think God allows it to draw us more to the throne. If you're in a place where you ha don't have any peace right now, God's probably imploring you to get into the Word deeper than you currently are. It doesn't matter who you are. So I've been saved a long time. I've read all the verses a lot of times. God says, yeah, but I bet you've forgotten a lot of them. He want, if, if, if we're lacking peace, he wants us to get closer to the fire. And the word of God will warm our soul. It will warm our spirit. The peace of God is perpetually tied to the word of God. It's that lamp to our feet. It's that light to our paths. Everything we ever need is found in the word of God. Everything. Everything you could ever need pertaining to life and godliness, the scriptures say. Life, well, that's a big, that covers everything. Life and godliness. It can be found in the Word of God, in the throne room, throne room of God. That's where God strengthens us. That's where He fills us. That's where He secures us. That's where He calms us. That's where He prepares us. Because we don't really know what we need to be prepared for. We don't even know what's coming around the corner. God prepares us by His Word. What He's doing in me right now is so important for what He has for me in 2023. I just threw out a number. If I live that long, none of us know that. But if I live to be 2030, what I'm doing in the Word of God, I love to go back. You're, any of you mark dates in your Bible? You go back and you say, wow, I wrote that in 1999. I wrote that in 2007. I wrote that in 2010, 2012. See, the Word of God was preparing us then for right now in 2018. Are you in the Word of God? Are, will you be ready for 2028? Well, I, don't, I don't need you. I don't need to live out there. I'm just saying that God, Jesus says, you have enough cares and concerns for today. Let tomorrow take care of tomorrow. I'm saying that even though there'll be things for tomorrow, Jesus is preparing us by the word for tomorrow and even beyond as we're in the word. So God, it's a lamp, but it's getting us ready for everything that we'll need wherever God's, or you know, whatever paths or things he's preparing us for. We all need these things from the Lord. We all need him to secure us and to calm us and to comfort us. We need these things. Uh, we desperately need his wisdom, don't we? We always need the wisdom of God. Life can get very complex at times, can it? You remember when you were a teen and the biggest thing was what you were going to wear? We have three teens, as I mentioned. Some of you, you know, they're, uh, sometimes, and you have to have compassion for what they think are really big things. Because they were when you were that age, but you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to come down to this level. But life can get very complex. Life can get very, very confusing at times, can it? Even for adults that have done life for a while. Sounds like a maze, isn't it? And God, because he gives us wisdom, can alleviate, listen to this, God can alleviate so much wasted emotion and worry on our parts. He really can alleviate a lot. I, the, I'm trying to get closer and closer to you say, Lord, show me where I have wasted motion, wasted thoughts, wasted worry, wasted time. Because the Word of God is that powerful, that supernatural, that illuminating that it shows us, shed this off and watch things grow. 
You ever meet someone who really knows something about plants or really knows something about certain things, and they give you one little tip, and you're like, that little tip will do all that? That's how God wants to speak to every little pruning area of our life. So yeah, you just cut that one little leaf. That little spot, Lord, is going to do all that. Despise not the day of small things. That little area, God will alleviate all this wasted motion and worry. But notice what Paul emphasizes as we dwell and we allow the word to dwell in us. He uses this word richly, doesn't he? Richly. The word here means, do you know what it means? It means abundantly. The word means abundantly. And it's tied to wisdom. God wants us to have an abundance of wisdom. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, right? God wanted him to glorify God by showing that wisdom comes from God. Remember, Solomon didn't, he wasn't born the wisest man. He was made the wisest man at that moment as a teenager. So he went from this level of wisdom that fast. God can give us immeasurably, I don't care how long you've been saved, God can give us a big shot injection of wisdom more than we have today, the more we dwell in the Word of God. And you don't really know when God's going to say, now I'm going to honor that prayer you've been praying for five years, six years, seven years. We never know. But the Word of God is directly tied to God speaking to us and how we hear His voice and what you're highlighting. Do you know how many people have said, you know, we talked, we talked about wisdom and why, why we need it. Sometimes we might just blow past wisdom and say, yeah, but I already know the main thing, so I don't really need that much wisdom. Do you know how many people around the world today said these words, I wish I knew what to do? Do you have any idea how many people on planet Earth said today, I wish I knew what to do? We take for granted that a lot of people, but we're, a lot of people are confused, but we might be those people. A lot of times we don't know what to do, do we? If we say it as well, we all say it from time to time. We might just say it to ourselves. It's kind of an exhale. I wish I knew what to do here. No one's around. We don't know. I have those questions with hospital visits. I have those questions with dealing with, you know, different situations. Lord, what do I do? What do I even say? What do I do in this situation? I don't know what to do. God, you know everything. A lot of people are wondering what to do. That's why we've seen suicide in the news. They don't know what to do. Many people are despondent because they have no idea what to do. But God wants his children, God wants his family to have confidence. Not pride, confidence, peace. To know what to do in big things and small things. God cares about the small things. Aren't you glad? Not everything in life is huge. But a bunch of small mistakes turn into a big mistake, right? A bunch of small wrong turns turn into you know, lots of new problems. God wants us to have his wisdom and his peace and all these things. But not just us. It's not just for our inner strength and peace. But it's to share the wisdom of God. To share the goodness of God the joy of the Lord, and the grace with other people. God wants us to possess this inner peace from him so we have wisdom and things to give to others. We can't share what we haven't received. I cannot teach or preach in this pulpit. The Lord's made it abundantly. The longer I've done it, I've been more aware. I cannot teach or preach in this pulpit until the Lord has filled my heart and filled my plate. Like I have to bring them an empty plate. Say, Lord, you've got to fill this plate up before I get up there on Wednesday or on Sunday. Fill it up with whatever you, you know, this much peas, this much chicken, this much, whatever, whatever you want to put on the plate. Because there's different things that God wants to speak to different parts of the human condition. So I have no idea. And even when I, God fills up the plate for you or for me, you're going you're to call a relative and you haven't talked to him in years and you're going to, what are you going to say? Lord, you have to fill my heart, fill me. Got to be, got to be led by you. Until we've dwelt in the Word, we have to dwell in the Word. Until we've dwelt in the Word and in prayer, we have nothing of real value to give anybody. You ever meet people that really have 
I mean, they might be really successful, but you, you ever notice the shallowness of their con- They have nothing really valuable to give you. You can be with them for about an hour, and you've, you've, you've touched on every topic you're ever going to touch on with them. There's no depth. There's no real wisdom there. There's no real life-changing power coming from their life. Because they've not met Jesus, and they haven't spent time with him. But we have to spend time in the Word of God even after we know the Lord. And if the Word of God but the Spirit of God is flourishing in our hearts, we can be encouragers. Don't you want to be an encourager? A Barnabas? I don't know what the female word for Barnabas is, so whatever it is. Barnabasa or something like that. Uh, protectors? Did you want to be a protector of people? So many people that are damaged today that the body of Christ, we could do to protect them. A comforter, again, strengthening people, others in the family of God. And of course, to be lights to a lost and dying world. All these people, we don't want to see anyone commit suicide on our watch if there's something we could have done. Now remember, all these things listed in, in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell on you richly in wisdom, song, and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, singing with grace in your heart. All the things that are lifted he, listed here are still under the bond of love, which we looked at back in verse 12 and verse 14. Love covers all these kind of things, does it? doesn't it? And the reason why is when you are going to teach and admonish, it has to be done in love. Those of you that are parents, you know that teaching and admonishing love is received differently than yelling at someone. There's parenting over the years that is never received because it's not done in love. So this all has to be under the bond of love. Where there's love, there's that humility that we looked at in the previous verses, the kindness, and carrying these interactions with people, especially people that are your peers age-wise or, you know, it's just the body of Christ puts a bunch of people from varied backgrounds together and teaching and admonishing and sharing Scripture and things. It has to be done with humility and love and grace. This first thing, let's look at teaching for just a second. Teaching. God's writing through Paul to everyone in the church. This, is not, this passage is not specifically to pastors. Would you agree with me? It's for everybody. There are passages that Paul writes specifically to pastors, but this isn't one of them. This is to the family, plural, all of us that are in the family teaching one another. It's, it, it's just it's showing that we have peer equality in this. The Lord wants us all to be able to, when he says teach, it means to impart. He wants us all to be able to impart truth and wisdom to one another. Something along the lines, it might go something like this. You might be sharing with a sister or a brother hey, the Lord showed me this verse that really helped me when I was going through that. See how that works? Something along those lines. That can be imparting a truth because you didn't say, hey, I came up with something. You didn't do that. Say, hey, this really helped me when I was going through that. This verse may really encourage you. may really strengthen you. This is something that I was watching a message and, and it really spoke to me and I hadn't thought of these three things they might really benefit you. That's, that's teaching and parting. Then you have this word admonishing. Admonishing means one of two things. Either means to warn someone or exhort. Now to exhort, uh, when, when I preach, exhortation is along the lines of you can do this. You can do it. God will help you get there. You, God will help you climb the mountain. This is coaching that says... I believe in you players, right? That's exhortation. It's to build someone up. It's to encourage them. It's to give hope. It's to give confidence. That's exhortation. It's something, in fact, can be done. That's what it means to exhort someone. Now, to warn takes a different level of spiritual tack, right? And even if you do it in the right spirit, it will not always be received right. Paul said, I've become your enemy because I tell you the truth. 
Now, I really think that when it comes to warning, it needs to be done by people that are more mature in the faith. It's not really one of those things that just is a cavalier thing. Well, I heard warnings in there, so I'm going to start warning, 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 warning. Yeah. Very, very careful. My good friend and mentor, one of my mentors, Sam Nadler, told me a few years ago, several, it's stuck in my head ever since. He said, if someone really knows you love them, if they really, and this is where love is so key to this, if someone really knows you love them, then you'll have to be obedient to what God wants you to say at times, but they'll more readily receive it because they know it's coming from our love. doesn't mean that always it will receive but more readily, if you've, shown, if you've shown no love in a relationship, you might want to leave warning to somebody else. If you've never shown any love and built up relationship, I, I would highly say just that's until you mature in that area, that's not a domain you might want to walk in because you'll just create fires. But if we've built relationships, if we're in relationships, this is why it's so important that Men have men and men relationships. Women have women and women. Their fellowship is important because where fellowship is established, relationships are established. And if they're bonded by love, which is the bond of perfection, which he just talked about, then nine out of ten times we're exhorting. But every now and then, you see something you love. Say, hey, I just want to say I did that, and wow, I want to I save you the pain that I had to go through. And they'll receive it if there's relationship and love. Wouldn't you agree that if there's relationship and love, this is going to go a whole lot farther than just you're some stranger? You know, there shouldn't be anything in it for us at all other than their best interest. Now, Psalms and hymns, he goes on to say, teaching and admonishing uh, in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms and hymns, uh, they're so helpful to us in ministering to the soul, aren't they? There's times where a song, a psalm, someone, I, I've had people that will text me, hey, listen to this song. And I've done it sometimes, like, wow, did I need that? Well, sometimes you don't even know. It just ministers to your, to your spirit. But it doesn't say, it doesn't say teaching and admonishing them with opinions, philosophical ideas, trivia, factoids. Those things can't hurt. They can't encourage the heart and soul, can they? Hey, here's something I saw that's a great list of top ten things. Might be interesting, might be entertaining for a few minutes, but it doesn't really minister to the soul, does it? Has to be of spiritual death, has to come from God, where psalms and hymns come from the Lord. Now, psalms, they can be scriptures. The psalms themselves, in, before the New Testament was written, uh, the Jewish world sang many, and they still do, uh, many of the psalms were put to music. So they were sung as they were scripture, but you're singing the scripture. And, you know, Calvary Chapel, Maranatha music, all this has been done. You know, we've taken these same scriptures and put them to music. So it can be done in that manner through a psalm. Uh, but scriptures can be given to each other just by sharing and exhorting, right? Hey, here's a verse, writing a card, that kind of thing. There's all kinds of different ways to share. Uh, again, music plays a key role. Now, hymns are songs that convey. We did the hymn... Uh, Sunday, two Sundays ago, hymns are songs that convey truths or and or scriptural doctrine. That's what hymns, they, 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 we're singing doctrine. We're singing scriptural truth. It doesn't have to be the verse per se, like a psalm is actually the verse. Whereas a hymn is doctrine about the verse. Does that make sense? A hymn is telling us, expanding. It's like a, it's like a, Sermon put to music, if you will. That's what, a, that's what a hymn is like. And then you have spiritual songs. What are they? Well, spiritual songs uh, are things to bring comfort, encouragement, and praise. They're not as, as theologic. They're not as much as a sermon as they are to soothe or to focus our attention on God. They can be all these are spiritual songs. 
Uh, and all of these different things are, are written today in, in, in the music world and in the worship world even now. Uh, God loves to use music in the life of his children, doesn't he? Now, we know the world likes to use music too. Satan was very a musical an angel, and I believe he uses music in a really bad way all around the world, whereas God wants to use music in the life of his children to, to stir up worship and to remind us of things in the Word, and to bring unity when we worship together, that unifies. Just like praying together brings us together, reading the Word worship, uh, brings us together, and the Word does the same thing. Uh, we talked Sunday about the imperative of our lives themselves being worshipped to God, right? We're presenting ourselves as what? Living sacrifices. So our life is to be a worship or an incense to God. And when we worship, when our lives are poured out in surrender, uh, we'll please the Lord and we'll fulfill his will, but we'll simultaneously, as we worship, we're ministering to other people. It's kind of this effortless thing that the Spirit does. The more we worship God, it's like the more you worship God, you don't end up in a monastery by yourself. The more we really worship God, the more our lives touch other people. Take a moment um, and just let's follow real quickly the, the blessed chain reaction uh, within us and the family of God. If you go back uh, up to verse 12, and we, I don't have time to read through it here, but remember he starts to the elect, remember the chosen of the family of God, holy, beloved, tender mercies, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, verse 13, forgiveness, verse 14, love. If you kind of look at this and, um, and just... Follow it through as links in the chain. Uh, we're first putting on humility, kindness, patience, and love, right? We're putting on these, these garments of love. Then we continue to forgive people for the many times that they fail us, and oh, by the way, the many times we failed them. When you ever think about people have failed me a lot in life, just add to that, and I failed people a lot. Every time you're tempted to say, people have failed me a lot, add to that, and I failed people a lot. And that will apply to every single person in this room. And as our love grows and we forgive, the bonds of relationship actually deepen. Remember I said uh, that, the, um, that the rabbis, last week I mentioned this, the rabbis said that when Peter was like, Lord, how many times should I forgive? How about seven? He came up with what he thought was a high number. Because the rabbis said, if someone you know, wrongs you, after the third time, you can stop forgiving them after the third time. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you a repeating number, right? As we talked about, no marriage would make it out the parking lot if three times offended meant the relationship was had. Oh, you don't have to forgive them now, right? But no, forgiveness is part of love. So that, that's a big part of verse 13. He says, you're going to have to be forgiving, and that will deepen the relationship. The love of Christ then it perfects us, but it only doesn't just perfect us, it perfects the family as a whole. And the love of Christ upon us produces the peace of Christ. Because Jesus loves me, you know the kids sing that song, Yes, Jesus Loves Me? Because Jesus loves me, that produces peace in my heart. I don't need as much from people when the Lord loves me, but then I have something to, His love is so endless, then we have it to give out. And the more we yield to his will, the more his love and peace then flows from our life. And the love and peace that flows in us by the Holy Spirit flows out, and that further unifies. And so you have this repeating of these things are coming into us, and then they're going out, and they're going into one another, and the Lord is doing this work of actually kind of marinating his family in these characteristics, these areas of forgiveness and humility and kindness. And then that brings peace because perfect love casts out fear. People aren't striving with each other then, right? They're not trying to gain anything. They're just trying to receive from the Lord and come together and say, no, it's, they really, God really wants his family to start to get to the place where we really not just say this, we believe it. It's more blessed to give than receive. We really believe that Jesus was a giver first and we learn to do the same, and this strengthens the family. The character and will of God, uh, our heart becomes to mirror his heart. And so because his heart is others-minded, 
we increasingly minister to one another, and we see the blessing, the blessing, the real blessing and joy of building up our brothers and sisters, and especially when we understand how sin-filled, how difficult the road is for everybody, we are there to say, no, no, we, we care about what you're going through. And we begin to see and embrace that, that gathering, we see that gathering is less about us. Did you know this? That in the body of Christ, gathering is less about us and more about others. And yet, when, when we make it more about others, here's this counterintuitive thing that happens. We get built up. We get lifted up. We get healed personally in the process of putting others first. Proverbs 11.25, he who waters, or you could put refreshes, others will himself be watered or refreshed. This is God's way. You can say, I'm going to do it a different way. But in the family of God, it only works this way. It'll only work this way. I don't think as believers we can ever, I'm going to say this really clearly, I don't think as believers we can ever be fully refreshed until we begin refreshing other people. Not as believers. The world might find something, well, it won't be refreshing. It'll be some substitute. But as believers, I don't think we will ever see truth refreshing until we begin refreshing others. Jesus did it this way. In the night of his crucifixion, he got down and washed people's feet. It was an example for the whole church age to say, you, church, are going to wash feet until I return. But in washing feet, you'll find joy and peace. You'll think, how can I find joy and peace washing feet? Well, spiritually speaking, we're not doing one of these church feet washing things. That I, you know, I know people have done it and all that stuff. I, I shouldn't say never. God might say one of these, be careful whatever you say, don't. You know, an ultimatum. So God might say you're going to do one. But anyway, I had never planned on one. But I do plan on spiritually washing feet until Jesus returns because that's what he's called us to do, and that is what refreshes us. Jesus made it clear we were not designed to be retaining pools, but living springs, not you know, kind of trapping everything in. And this chain of surrender, serving in this bonded love and truth, is to minister in the church as the family of God, bringing the family more and more close. And Jesus said, as one. As he said, even here it says, one body in verse 15. This is so important to fulfilling our, desi uh, our design to worship and praise God. Now, last, last point, and it's found in verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the second time in these six verses that the word thanks or being thankful is mentioned. Does anyone in this room think they could use more thanks in their heart? Yes. If you don't think you do, go talk to the Lord. I'll pretty much guarantee you're going to get the same answer everybody else gets. You've got room for improvement in this area. We all do. We all are nowhere near as thankful as God is calling us to be. We're never going to be perfect. I get all that. But God is saying, let's lay down the excuses and let's look at where we're really at. Have you ever been around a family that you heard tons of complaining? The kids were ungrateful. There was just a spirit of discontent. You ever been in one of these situations? You feel awkward, don't you? You don't even know what to do. You feel discombobulated, how, how, do, how do I, this is the norm here. Everyone's doing this. Everyone's complaining. Every, everyone's, you know, just kind of discontent and at each other and criticisms and it can be very awkward. Sadly, in some families, cursing and complaining and railing on everything you can think of, criticizing like a sport. I hope that's not in your families. The one, one of you that I know, I don't, see that or know of that. But in some families, this is the norm, isn't it? It's the norm of conversations. This is how people live. I, I grew up next to some neighbors uh, when I grew up as a kid in Maryland. Oh, man. 
They were at each other nonstop. Everything was complaining and just life was horrible. And, but kids growing up around all this will all too often adopt the same ingratitude in their hearts and in their words. Don't you feel bad when you see, you're walking through the store and you actually see someone who's complaining and there's like a toddler and then another age. And you're like, they grow up around this negativity nonstop of complaining and hate and this and that and just, that's what they hear constantly. God doesn't want that in his family, amen? Amazingly, by the grace of God, I have seen, some of you uh, have seen as well, some of us know some of the same situations over the years, but I have seen firsthand, this is such a blessing, I have seen a few teens and a few college-age students in my life that God has saved and transformed when the whole rest of the family is still lost, that were from incredibly negative homes, be lights like you would not believe to their parents, their brothers, their sisters, their aunts, uncles. And it amazes me because, you know, I was a knucklehead as a teen in college. So I, I, I never really was of any value to anybody in that capacity. But I've seen that. And God wants to use us as lights all around us of this, of what gratitude looks like. But just as individuals, just as individuals are known by their fruits, you know, when you get to heaven and I get to heaven and we meet Jesus, we're going to be judged by our fruits, not anybody else's. I'm not going to be taking your position and you won't be taking mine. We'll be standing alone before Jesus and we'll be known by our fruits in this world. And of course, we'll, when we stand before the Lord, just as individuals are known by their words and their action, so on the whole... Our families, sometimes families are known by a certain characteristic. We talked about this last week. And God wants every member of his family individually, but also the DNA of the family collectively to be known as thankful. I mean, I want people, if they ask you if you go to Calvary Chapel Richmond, say, you guys are really thankful, gracious people. And not just say it to, to be nice and walk off and say, you know, I don't mean that. I want them to mean it. I've said before, if you're, if you're full of complaining, don't tell people you go here. <laughs> Just zip it, right? Until you grow past that, don't. I want us to be known as sincerely thankful. God wants us to be known as sincerely thankful. I didn't say perfect, but people that you know, you work with people, you have people in your family, you have people that you know that you think of them as thankful. Just they write you a card. They always say thanks. There's tons of people... You'll never get a thanks from them. It's not, they don't think about ever saying thank you to anybody for anything. Jesus healed 10. Only one came back to say thanks. We have to cultivate that. He wants the family of God to be known as thankful and this family to be collectively thankful. Now, we looked at this same uh, wording here, but I just want to emphasize that Paul says it in other places as well. We see the same thing, speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing. Giving thanks, Paul always ties the characteristic of the family of God back to this thankfulness, a thankful group of people that truly are thankful they've been saved. And because they're thankful they've been saved, they're thankful about everything else that comes with it and everything else that comes with Jesus. Now, love should be the most visible mark. That's what Jesus said. It's by all men will know you're my disciple. You love one another. Love should be the most visible mark, and love should be visible even if we don't say a word. Have you ever been able to tell that someone loves you even when they didn't say anything? Because their actions speak way louder than words sometimes, right? Love should be the most visible. Peace should be the outflow of our lives, but then thanks should be continued on our lips. Thanks actually is something said, right? Peace is something you can exhibit. Love is something you can exhibit, but thanks is something you have to express, Express thankfulness. Thank you. Thank you. I love George Mueller wrote thousands of thank you cards. Thousands of thank yous to people. We can all grow in this and, and, and must. Thankful people are really hard to hide. Spirit-filled people that give thanks to God are impossible to hide. You'll meet some unsaved people that are pretty thankful. I've met unsaved people that are way more thankful than people I've met in the church. It blows my mind. You ever done that? You're like, hold on, you're not saved. 
right? You're an atheist. And you say thanks more than tons of Christians I know. I do not get this. We need to, God says he wants his family to be known as thankful. But a spirit-filled person that's thankful can be impossible to hide. God doesn't want his family hidden in the way of thanks. He wants us as visible lights in this respect. Let your deeds be made known to, to all. They might glorify your Father in heaven. Thanks that flows from our lives is what I'd call thanks living. We've talked about this before. It's not just thanks. It's, it's our life, uh, that we have this life of giving thanks. And Psalm 26, 7 says that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. That I do what? Proclaim and tell. And what does this mean to me? When we're amazed by the goodness and greatness of God, we can't help but proclaim the goodness and greatness of God. We can't help but be thankful. All of our thanks starts with God's grace. All of it starts with his grace. One, we have to believe. We have to receive. I'm sorry, believe. We have to believe that if we believe that God is worthy, if we really believe God is worthy, It'll impress upon us to say, Lord, because you're worthy, I'm going to start saying thank to God first. First and foremost, it just directed back to him. If we're saved and we're believing our, uh, you know, we, we believed for salvation, but we also believe that if he wants us to be thankful, we're going to follow that in obedience just like we did with salvation. Number two, if we're saved, it's the Holy Spirit we may have a desire to be thankful, but the Holy Spirit will stir us to be thankful. Right? Because our desire is not good enough, is it? <laughs> no. Not, you can desire to be holy, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it'll never happen anyway. So that's why we have to have the Spirit living in us. Desire to do the right thing, can never, we can never conjure up enough to be thankful people. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. So we have to first believe, then we have to receive Next, has to be surrendered. Um, we have to be willing to give thanks even when we don't feel like it, which is a lot. Feelings lie. Psalm 107, 22, let the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and the sacrifice of thanksgiving declare his works. Let's do, that with, do it with rejoicing. Sometimes it's a sacrifice to give thanks. I mean, not really. It's just sacrificing our will. Jesus has already done the sacrifice on our behalf. Next, <clears throat> we have to practice it. People practice what they want to see improve in their life. You know, I'm going to practice running. I'm going to practice it, this exercise. I'm going to practice uh, this skill or whatever it may be. But you know you have to put in practice. I want to learn a second language. You have to practice these things. Um, but when we practice giving thanks, Lord, show me where I need to grow in this area. I, I've been trying to be thankful since the day I got saved. I think, I think I've grown in it. I think I have a lot of areas to still grow in it. Uh, I told you all I started writing a thank you journal. I'm up to 276. 276 thank yous I've written since May 15th. And I believe it'll, when I'm done, I'll, I believe it'll be like thousands. I'm just going to keep, until the Lord tells me to stop, just keep writing them down. Because it's important to say, Lord, I don't know how much headroom I have to grow in this, but I want you to show me. I, I, I'm sure I have a lot. The fifth, continuous commitment. It's got to be continuous. Godly habits are formed over time. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It takes a spiritual maturity to learn to say thanks in situations that, on the surface, there's no thanks to be had. You ever been there? You might be there this week. On the surface, there's no thanks to be had, and yet Paul would say, hey, I, I've been there, prison, bunch of times, beaten many times, stoned to death at least one time, shipwrecked, bitten by, you, you name it. He's like, and I learned that God told me to offer up thanks in all those situations. They go counterintuitive, again, to our mindset, but God says this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. It is expressly says this is the will of God. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18. This is the will of God that we learn to say thanks in everything. This glorifies God, and that is the most important outcome of our obedience. God's glorification is the most important outcome. Now, I know that by faith, not because I fully even always understand that, but I know that's true. We'll also see that the family of God will become stronger and more effective. And lastly, we benefit. When we put ourselves in the rear, we actually benefit. I know this doesn't sound like it works that way, but it does in God's economy. Giving thanks brings the joy that Jesus promised and can actually lift us up above our circumstances. Giving thanks can lift us up above the circumstances. It's a supernatural. It's in the spiritual realm. If someone tries to tell you, well, I can't figure that out scientifically, say, you're right, you can't. God created science. He's actually above it. This is in the spiritual realm that God will use thanks to lift us up. Last year, but actually science and medicine is starting to notice some of these things. Last year I, I cited a study that showed definitively that complaining physically rewires the brain to anxiety and depression. Absolutely does. Now I understand. I want to be really clear. There's a timeout for we've got like three minutes left here. I just want you to understand. I understand that many bouts of these things did not start with complaining. You can have traumatic life experiences, post-traumatic stress. You could have a spouse die, a child die. You could have an automobile accident. You could have traumatic experiences. You can have literal Job's experience where God says, have at them where you're attacked by the enemy and you're like, you're barely hanging by a thread. All of these things can happen. And in those situations, anxiety or depression or panic attacks or these things, they are not necessarily because you were complaining. Let's understand that. However, for many people, a lifestyle of complaining is breaking them down and they don't even know it. Because the scriptures are clear in the Proverbs about some of these matters as well. And for all people, no matter what unsettled us in the first place, right, even if it was an outside force, it was something you had nothing, you know, someone was the victim of a serious crime and their mind is bent out of shape and they don't even know how to get over it or get past it, right? If something happened to you from the outside, it may not have been complaining that it may have, man, I don't know how this even hit me like a, like a tidal wave. Something the Lord allowed to happen and unsettled. But even no matter how we got there, this, the truth remains, being thankful does rewire us the other way to Jesus. Amen? No matter how, if it wasn't something we did, or if it was, a man, I've been a complainer since I was 16, or no, I wasn't a complainer, I had this traumatic thing happen, and now I can't get over it. Whatever state, it doesn't matter. The truth remains. God says, start giving thanks to me. I'll rewire your spirit and your mind and your soul regardless of the circumstances. Doesn't matter if you were Mary Magdalene and seven demons cast out. Doesn't matter if you're the demoniac. Doesn't matter if you were a thief on the cross. God says, you start giving thanks, I will rewire what the enemy has pulled apart. Amen? That's the truth. To be thankful, it's mentioned twice in these six verses. You think of the two primary, we'll close with this, you think of the two primary focus areas of tonight. What were they? Dwelling in the Word of God and being thankful. All of my discussion tonight was those two things. Two supernatural healing wonders that are better than anything the medical world has to offer. Dwelling in the Word, think about it. Dwelling in the Word and being thankful. God says, you put these two things together and you start to live in that. God says, I'll transform everything about you. Do you believe that? We'll close with this verse. It's said in our mind. You, you've read it, but I want to remind you again. Finally, brethren, because we're a family. Brethren means family. Finally, brethren. Finally. Paul says, if I got nothing else to say, here's my finally. As pastors, we say finally a lot. Whatever things are true, that comes from the word. 
Whatever things are noble, that comes from God. Whatever things are just, that comes from God. Whatever things are pure, that comes from the Word. Whatever things are lovely, that comes from God. Whatever things are of a good report, only from the Word of God. If there's any virtue, anything praiseworthy, goes back to our worship on Sunday, meditate on these things. God says, you want to be healed, this is it right here. Amen? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that uh, even tonight, your word has been ministering, strengthening, healing. Lord, we want to be a family that is healed by the words and spirit of Jesus. But, Lord, that you want to unify us, that we glorify you, minister and strengthen one another. But, Lord, that when we have been healed, as Mary Magdalene and many others and Paul, Lord, as they were healed, you sent them out and they touched thousands for the glory of Jesus. And, Lord, there's so many that don't have a family that you want to adopt in. So, Lord, strengthen and heal us that we would be able to reach out to them. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless you. Have a great rest of the evening.